Today we're going to be talking about good news in hard times. I think this is something that applies to all of us because we've certainly been through a number of circumstances in recent years where we've experienced very difficult times with the pandemic and with all of the unrest and with wars going on around our world and other circumstances that are happening in our lives. There are circumstances all around us and in our own personal situation where we could use some help in hard times. And actually there are a number of groups that have have seen that and have recognized kind of the status the world is in and have tried to do something to help us along the way. And actually one of the groups that's trying to lend a hand is a group of kindergartners at Westside School in California. They have launched, about four weeks ago, they launched a hotline that they're calling Pep Talk. (laughs) Pep Talk, get it? Yeah, the Pep Talk hotline. And if you call up this hotline, you will hear them giving you some advice. You'll, You'll get the voice of a little kid, a kindergartner, on the phone giving you a couple of options depending on which button you want to press. For instance, some of the options are, if you're feeling mad, frustrated, or nervous, press 1. Or, if you need words of encouragement and life advice, press 2. These are kindergartners. If you need a pep talk from a kindergartner, press 3. And the pre-recorded advice that you end up navigating your way to are things like this. Get your wallet and spend it on ice cream. And shoes, it adds. Yeah, I'm not sure why. Jump on a trampoline. Or it says, if you're feeling up high and unbalanced, think of groundhogs or recreational marijuana. It is in California, this school. All right, I made up the last one, but all the other ones, all the other ones are real. And if you call it up, you call them up, you can hear that. And apparently, a lot of people are finding some of this advice, advice helpful or at least interesting to them because they claim that they're receiving 9,000 phone calls an hour. Think about that. People are looking for some help these days. And I think that the fact is all of us could use a pick-me-up. We could all use some good news in hard times. And if a groundhog just isn't going to, thoughts of a groundhog isn't going to do that for you, well, I've got some other things for you today as well. In fact, it's the Apostle Paul who has these things for us in the passage that we come to today as we continue on in our studies through Romans thinking about the fact that grace changes everything. And what I'd invite you to do is go ahead and grab your scripture journal and open up to our passage for today, which is Romans chapter 5. And while you're finding your way there, welcome to everybody who is present here. Welcome to those of you who are watching online today or maybe in the classic service or for those on the Moon Campus, very exciting day, weekend for those on the Moon Campus and all of us here at Pathway as we entertain what God is doing and, and leading a couple to us, a family to us here at Pathway. Very much looking forward to how the weekend continues to move its way forward and through the meeting as well. So, I think that there is something here that we can all benefit from. This is an amazing chapter. It is rich and it is deep and it offers encouragement for us in the living of our lives just day to day to day. And if you ever find yourself or are finding yourself even in these moments and circumstances that are challenging, difficult things that have come your way, then you're here on a good day because there's much for us to see. There's much for us to learn from and to grow through as 
as we take a look at what Paul has to say to us. Now, do you know how sometimes people will say to you, I've got good news and bad news. Which do you want first, right? You've heard that. How many of you are give me the good news first sort of people? All right. Not a lot of you, but we've got a few hedonists here, so, so that's great, all right? So I'm assuming the rest of you are, I want the bad news first, people, right? Yeah? Okay, that's like almost all of you want the bad news first. Well, tough for you because he gives us the, first, uh, the good news first here, all right? And that's what we're going to see. And as he gets into this good news that he starts to give to us, what we see first of all He's talking about the blessing of justification. That's where this passage gets started. We're in chapter 5. We just turned, turned over from chapter 4 for today. Let's go ahead and take a look at what he has to say here. Paul gives us some clues right from the outset. Chapter 5, verse 1 begins by saying, Therefore, since we have been justified by faith. Now, stop there for a moment. The word therefore that we have here in this passage Therefore, we have been justified by faith. The word always tells us to look back at what he has just said. Whenever you read that, you always ask, what's it there for, right? And so you go back to see what it is. Well, in this unique situation, not only do we see it as we look back, but we all also see what the therefore is there for as we look forward because it's one and the same. If you look back, you look forward, you see the same thing. And it's this idea that since, the second part of it, therefore, since we have been justified by faith. He's talking about the fact that those who have put their faith in Jesus Christ and not in themselves are justified. Now, this idea of justification or being justified is something we've seen several times already in the book of Romans, and I hope that you've already picked up on what it means to be justified. We've defined it. Let's do it one more time. To be justified is to be declared righteous. To be justified is to be declared righteous or to be pointed out to be right with God is what it's talking about. It's not something that you earn. It's not something that you deserve. It's something that is bestowed on you in a moment in time by God because of the fact that you have faith in Jesus Christ. It is simply counted to you, this righteousness given to you because of faith that you have in Christ. And it's clear that justification is a blessing, but Paul doesn't just leave it there. He goes on and he says, let me tell you how justification is a blessing for you. And this, I hope, will be helpful to you and to all of us as we make our way through it. The first blessing of justification that Paul points out is how it provides peace with God. First blessing of justification is it brings peace with God. Verse 1 says, Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Now there's an important distinction here that I think it's kind of important to make. Here Paul is talking about the idea that we have or can gain peace with God. That is different from the peace of God. Don't get these confused or don't think that they all just kind of blend together in one. There's peace with God that he's talking about here that comes through justification, but there's also something called the peace of God. The peace of God is that which we seek after when we're going through difficulties, when we're going through challenges, when there are stresses that are going on in our lives, or when we're experiencing maybe illness or a death in the family or, or some real urgent challenge, we're looking for the peace of God to wash over us. Paul talks about this elsewhere when he writes to the church in Philippi in these words. He says, and the peace of God which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your mind in Christ Jesus. That's good stuff. It's a powerful promise. It is completely true, and it is completely not what Paul is talking about in our passage. 
Peace of God is something that we ought to seek after. Peace with God is something else. It's something different. See, before we put our faith and our trust in Jesus, our trust is in ourselves. We are living for ourselves. We're our number one priority, and we push God to the side if we give Him any consideration at all, which naturally leads us to a place of alienation from God. He's there. We're here. We're interested in serving ourselves, not serving Him. And so there's this alienation. Well, there's this thing that ultimately is going to come our way because of our sin, there is going to be a judgment that one day we are going to face. And in the moment, we're at at odds with God. We're alienated from Him. And there's this battle that essentially is going on where He's seeking to draw us in and we're just resisting. There is no peace with God, but when we are willing to submit ourselves and humble ourselves and bow our knees before Christ and put our faith and our trust in Him, that takes that alienation out of the way. It makes us friends of God, not strangers from God. And what happens then is that the peace with God is our experience. It comes because ultimately of justification. It's a blessing of being justified, of belonging to Jesus. That's one of the blessings. He goes on, and there's more here. Another blessing is access to grace. Peace with God and access to grace. Access is a wonderful thing because it's not something that you always get in all circumstances of life, right? I went into Starbucks the other day, and I asked for the code to get into the restroom, and they said, no. (laughs) Turns out they want you to buy something to use their restroom which I suppose is their prerogative, right? Or you don't walk up to the gate at the White House and say, hey, I'd like access to the Oval Office for a few hours. You don't do that. You don't get it. Or this is Master's Week. And for years, I've been trying to get tickets to get access to the grounds of the golf course where they play the Masters there at Augusta National because who wouldn't want to go and see that, right? But they have this lottery system where you have to actually send it in and and, uh, they then choose people who are going to get, and if they draw your name, then you're allowed to order two tickets for whatever day of the week they tell you you can go. And it isn't necessarily even one of the tournament days. It might be one of the practice rounds, but it's all in their hands. And, and uh, to this day, I have yet to get any access to Augusta National because they haven't chosen to give it to me. You don't always get access. Well, you might say, well, why don't you just purchase some of the aftermarket tickets? Yeah, I've looked into those. They're like $2,000 and up for a single day's ticket, just for one ticket. I'm like, no, thank you. I'll just go to another beautiful course. Like, Rolling Acres is just down the road. And it's pretty much the same as Augusta National. Unless you've been there, you know differently. But but anyway, I'm not paying two grand for one day's access. And I may never get access to the Masters, but because there's just something called justification that comes to those who believe in Jesus, I do have access to grace. And you do too if you're a believer in Jesus today. Paul continues on in verse 2. He says, Through Him we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand. Well, peace with God that we talked about a moment ago makes reference to the fact that, that there are negative consequences that would be due to us that are taken out of the way. What we have here next in this access to grace are positive things that are given to us that we don't deserve. That's what God does for us. Gives us all sorts of things like salvation and love and kindness and compassion and favor and mercy and intercession and assistance with 
hurts and, and problems and, and failures that we go through. With God, we're not the one who has our nose pressed to the glass just wishing that we'd be able to get access inside. We have full and complete access to God and to the grace that comes from Him. Why? Because of justification. Where does that come from? It comes through faith in Jesus Christ as we bow our knee to Him, no longer trusting in ourselves and the things that we can do on our own to try to earn our way there, but resting fully and completely on what He has done for us. That's where it comes from. That's what He's talking about here. And that grace that we have full access to changes everything. Then, one last blessing of justification that Paul mentions is the hope of glory. Paul adds at the end of verse 2, and we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. <coughs> Excuse me. What seems to be on Paul's mind here is the glory that is going to be fully revealed to us one day. In other words, he is thinking eternal thoughts. He's thinking down the road. Not that the glory of God isn't something that we come to experience, at least in part here in this life, but here he's got something much deeper and broader and complete in view as he thinks about all of eternity and the blessing that comes. Now, one little clarification that we've mentioned before but certainly bears repeating again is this word hope that he is using here. As he, as he uses it, there is absolutely no element of uncertainty as to whether or not it's going to come about, which is different from the way that we use the word hope. When we say hope, what we are saying is that there's a definite possibility that it won't come to pass. For instance, you might say that, that uh, I hope that the pirates have a winning season this year, right? It's something that you desire, but there's definitely no certainty. Or you might say, I hope this isn't too long of a sermon, which is a desire that you have, but there's definitely no certainty that that'll be the case, that it won't be too long for you. But nonetheless, that's where we are. But when it comes to Paul and his writing in the, in the, in the aorist Greek here, or the Koine Greek that he, is, that he is writing in here, or in the first century context, there was no such question when the word hope was used, it was spoken as absolutely certain. This is our hope. This is our confidence that this is going to happen. Not maybe it won't, but we know that it will. And so that, when he talks about the hope of glory, it's not, well, I hope there's glory. I hope God's glory. When, no, he's saying absolutely we can take that to the bank, the hope of glory, of the glory of God. <clears throat> and that then makes here an interesting trio of blessings when it comes to justification. See, you've got peace with God where we started. That's a blessing dealing with your past. You've got access to grace, which is a blessing dealing with your present. And you've got access, or excuse me, you've got hope of glory, which is a blessing considering what ultimately is to come. The blessing of God through justification is broad and deep and wide and rich and full. It helps us to understand that there's good news in hard times. <clears throat> and that's what he's giving us is some good news. Then he goes on. There's some more. He talks about the rejoicing in suffering. You've got the blessing of justification. Now he's talking about the rejoicing in suffering, which sounds a little bit ludicrous, doesn't it? Rejoicing in suffering. But that's exactly what he writes. Look at this, verse 3. Not only that, what we've just talked about, that there's blessing that comes through justification, says not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings. Now, it's not that we rejoice because we suffer. <clears throat> Excuse me. That would be absolutely insane to do that. 
We don't rejoice because we suffer, though there is at least one commentator who helps to point out the fact that some people do actually rejoice because they suffer. One of the reasons that they do that is because it feels like punishment, a punishment that they know is due to them. And so when they receive that punishment, what it does for them is appeases their conscience. And so even for some, so much so that they don't even feel that they need to change from what they've been doing because they've been punished for it already. And so that's already been taken care of and taken out of the way, which leads to the other way or the other reason that some people sort of enjoy the the pain and enjoy the suffering because it also sort of feels like an atonement for sin because they know that that's due to them, that there's a punishment that's due to them or there's a discipline or there's certainly a reckoning based on their sin. They know that that has to happen. And when they suffer, they feel that, well, I'm actually in a good standing with God now because I've already paid the penalty of my sin on my own, which is completely discarding what the cross is all about to begin with. And Paul certainly isn't giving credence to any of those points of view. He's not saying it makes sense to rejoice because of suffering. He's saying that there's a reason that we can rejoice, though, in the midst of it because it's accomplishing something in us. It is doing something to develop us as we navigate our way through it. He gives us, in fact, a few different things, and each one of them builds on the other. And the first of those things is endurance. The first of the things that it it works to develop in us is endurance. Verse 3, again, says, not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings. Why? Knowing that suffering produces endurance. There it is. The truth is that we all face hard times in our lives. You might be going through something extremely painful and difficult right now that you're just trying to somehow get through. It might have something to do with an illness. It might have something to do with your workplace. It might have something to do with death that is happening around your family or a a health issue or a relational issue, perhaps between you and your spouse or between you and your kids, or something else going on. We all face these circumstances, but when suffering comes, it can be overwhelming like nothing else. Have you ever had that, where there's something going on, and it becomes the lens through which you see everything, and it influences all of the way that you're walking, and all of a sudden you find that you've got this sort of tunnel vision that's actually taking you down, not so helpful of a path, but it's all that you can process circumstances through. It happens a lot. Or maybe you'd say today as you're sitting here that things are great and I'm really happy for you. But the fact is that they're not going to stay that way. There's suffering that is going to come. And I don't just say that to be a pessimistic Patrick, which I'd rather be than a Debbie Downer. But I don't just say it for that reason. I say it because I don't want us to be caught off guard when it happens. Because it's going to. And I don't want it to catch us off guard because there's something that it can accomplish. The good news is that regardless of when it comes or or where it comes or what aspect of our lives it comes in, God can use that for good. And when that happens, it works to develop in us this idea of endurance. Now, contrary to what you might think, that endurance doesn't come because you've developed a stiff upper lip and you're just staying strong. This is not what doesn't kill you makes you stronger theology, with all due respect to Kelly Clarkson, right? That's not what this is. It's not what he's talking about right here. You see, the endurance isn't a product of you getting stronger. It's a product of you getting weaker. 
Endurance comes not because you've pulled yourself up by the bootstraps. It comes because you've surrendered yourself to one who has a power to help you to overcome the circumstance you're in that you don't have on your own accord or through your own ability. And until you lean into that, you will never experience the power to overcome. You'll never experience the endurance that he says is here for our taking. Elsewhere, Paul writes this on this very topic, 2 Corinthians, I will boast all the more gladly of my strength, my power, my personal ability. No, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses. Why? So that the power of Christ may rest in me. So His power might be that which is flowing through me that is accomplishing that which is necessary in my heart and in my life. There are some who would say that if there are problems going on in your life that you're not being a very good Christian because the Christian life should be a comfortable life, they would say. Really? (laughs) What about the disciples who all suffered? Why? Because they were Christians. Because they were Christ followers. What about Jesus Himself? A little bit of suffering going on there. Or Paul, tremendous suffering. Or Job, or really just about anybody who's been a follower of Jesus. We all face challenges, but that need not discourage us because God will work all of those things for good. Because you see, here's, here's the thing. God's desire isn't to make your life smooth, it's to make your heart soft. God's desire isn't to make your life smooth sailing, to do a work, to do something in your heart that softens it, that softens your heart because there's more that can be done. Soft to Him and His purposes. And when that happens, we'll be in the right place to experience the deepest of blessings and experience the fullness of what He has designed for us. Last week, I had the opportunity to sit with a number of different people and listen to their testimonies from a few different things that were going on around here. And I sat and I listened to those, and I was just deeply moved because they were talking about this very thing, how how God had softened their hearts and how it had transformed their perspectives from where they were going to a place that they recognized that God was now trying to draw them. And there was one common denominator between all of the stories that I was hearing And that common denominator was pain. It was pain that they had gone through, but what it had accomplished is a softening of their own heart to the the point where they turned themselves toward God and ran toward God where previously they were running in another direction or where God wasn't even on their radar. But it brought them to the place where their hearts were softened and they testified to the fact that they wouldn't have had it any other way because it brought brought them ultimately to the place that they knew now that they needed to be. But it doesn't even stop there. Sometimes, or something else that that suffering will develop is not just endurance to help you through the, the challenging circumstances, but also character. Paul says that suffering produces endurance in verse 4. Endurance produces character. Character is an attribute that demonstrates integrity and maturity and an ability. It's something that we develop over time. It's not something that is easy to come by, 
but it's something that stands out in a crowd. Why? Because it takes time to get there, and where we see somebody who's living a life of character, we recognize there's something that's, that's deeper and richer that is going on there. And in fact, there is. You see, character is something that doesn't just happen. You don't just happen to have character or happen to be a person of character. You have character because it develops in you through a series of circumstances that you have walked your way through. Sportscasters love to talk about how a team is so much better off, let's say, you know, in the Final Four or some other circumstance, if they've been there before because they've experienced the process and they've experienced the the challenges and they've experienced the nerves that come along with it. And so they're that much better prepared because something's been developing in them. Or they might talk about it the same way with with a golfer who's, who's in the lead on the back nine on the final day, who's been there before, because they've experienced what that's all about. And so they're better prepared to handle it. Well, it's the same thing that is going on with, with the development of character. It's what you learn when you go through the challenge, and it changes you, and it prepares you for facing the next circumstance. It prepares you for the hard times when they come So there's an endurance that we develop, and that endurance helps to develop character. And he goes on and he says there's another that is developed, and that is hope. Verse 4 again says, And endurance produces character, and character produces hope. When you go through suffering in some realm and you lean on God's power to supply, your endurance becomes dynamic because it is something unusual. And as you live that out, there is this God-sourced character that starts to work inside of you. And when that character develops, all of a sudden you're at the place where you recognize that God is doing something great and you've seen the work that He's done and you've seen it through endurance and you've seen it through the character that develops and naturally you see God's work and His touch and His hand. That gives you hope that he's going to be there again, that he's going to meet you in the need the next time around because you've seen it and it just continues to develop your mind and your heart and your spirit and your attitude. And you're ready to march forward with a resilience that you wouldn't have had before, not because you've developed it in yourself, but because you've leaned into what God can do for you and you've seen how God can supply over against how you know your own efforts have brought you up short time and time Again, so the question then is, how do you start that chain reaction that starts with endurance and leads to character and leads to hope? Well, first, by recognizing that whenever problems come your way, those are an opportunity to head toward hope. But what do we typically do? As soon as a difficulty, a problem comes up in our life, the first thing that we want is to be extricated from it. We just put all of our energy, all of our effort into getting out of that situation. And I'm not saying there's anything wrong to desire to be out of the situation, but while you're in it, there's something to learn. While you're in it, it's, Lord, what would you be teaching me, not just, Lord, get me out of here. Because those are opportunities to grow. Those are opportunities to develop endurance in the midst of the hard times. Typically, those are our softest experiences of our own heart to really learn, and if all we're doing is running from them, then we're sacrificing the opportunity to be the people that God is trying to develop us into. That's one thing. Then it's also a matter of leaning into the Lord, claiming His power as your own and submitting yourself to His leading, whatever that would be. And when you do, you find it to be a pathway to hope, and that's good news. 
in hard times. And then there's one more as well as we wrap this up, and it's the filling of love. Here's how Paul wraps up this section, verse 5. And hope does not put us to shame, meaning that it does not leave us empty. It doesn't shame us. It doesn't have egg on our face because we've been running after the wrong thing. It doesn't do that because we've been running after the right thing. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who He has given to us. This is so good. It isn't just God's plan that we would find blessing from our heartache or in the midst of our heartache because He's thoughtful and He's kind and God's just a cosmic nice guy. That's not why we find the blessing. The, the, the source of the blessing is the fact that we are in His love. He loves us. In fact, He loves us so much that He's given us the deposit of His Spirit, not just as a here, that'll help you in the hard times, and then he's coming back, but he gives us his spirit to fill us, to indwell us. If you're a believer in Jesus Christ, if you've bowed your knee and put your trust in Jesus, if you've been justified, then God's spirit is within you to lead you and guide you and to help you step by step along the way. What greater demonstration could there be that God will do all that he said he would do He promised the Spirit, and He gave the Spirit. It's what we have. You can have the absolute confidence that God is in you and with you because His Spirit is yours. That is such good news. To sustain us in the midst of the trials that come, and they will come. I guess we've said that. That's not a choice that we have. What is a choice is that when those hard times come, The choice is, is it going to bury you? Is it going to crush you? Or is it going to lead you to a place where you can go stronger, developing endurance and character and hope? As one who has been justified in Jesus, our past, our present, our future is secure, and we can have the confidence to rest in God instead of ourselves, and experience the feeling of love, not the feeling of love, the filling of love that God has provided for us. Friends, I pray that we might live in that love, because we're all going to face the circumstances. We're all going to walk through the problems. We're all going to experience the pains. You might be in the throes of that right now. We'll be encouraged, because there's good news in hard times, that we don't need to be stuck where we are, but that God can and is presently working on your escape through that situation, and will take and work it all together for good. That's His promise for us, and I would encourage you to lean into that and experience that, whatever your situation. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, I pray for my friends here today, friends listening in person or online or one of our other services. And Lord, we just ask in the midst of the the troubles that we are experiencing that you would meet us. Lord, those might be personal in relationships that we have, in a diagnosis that we've received, in the stresses that are going on around us, maybe in our workplace, 
just things are swirling and we just feel buried. Or Lord, it might be as we look around us in our world and our hearts are just broken as we see war broken out and we, we see the, the unrest that is going on and the division and the problems and, and the pains and even the trying to get all the way through this pandemic. And Lord, it just, it just can overwhelm so much. And Lord, we're not the only ones who experience that. There are so many others who do as well, and, and they don't have a source to go to to find the answer, to find the victory, to find the courage, to find the peace in the midst of their situation. Lord, I just pray that we would be, be bold enough as we listen to the people around us who are wrestling themselves, knowing that we have an answer, an answer that Paul just lays out before us, that there's good news for that bad time, for that hard time. Father, just pray that our ears would be open and that they would be perked up to the things that we're listening around us. And instead of, instead of just uh, hearing people talk about how difficult things are and how painful things are and how much they don't like the circumstance they're in or that we're in, that we might just hear that as a cue. Say, telling them the good news. Tell them about what is available because of our Savior. And Father, may we find that same hope. May we recognize that sometimes it is the pain that you allow to come into our lives so that you might get our attention, which might sound like it's not very kind. But Lord, when we recognize that what you're doing is transforming our perspective, that it is drawing us in, that it is turning helping us to turn a corner, to walk in greater, closer fellowship with you, to develop in us endurance and character and hope. Lord, we recognize the blessing. And I would just pray in these moments that we would turn our minds and our focus and our attention in that direction, whatever it is that we're facing. Lord, I do pray for my friends here and the ones who are facing tremendous challenges, or the ones who will soon. I would just ask that we would constantly be reminded of what you've promised. When that comes, that we might open to Romans 5 and read what you have to say to us to encourage us and to strengthen us. Lord, help us to live in the beauty and the power of your provision, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.